Welcome back, folks. Episode 22 of the Running Man Self-Regulation Skills and Self-Improvement Project podcast. With me, your host, Dr. Armando Dominguez, Ph.D. in Health Psychology and Licensed Professional Counselor, as well as an adjunct professor at a local community college. What we're going to be talking about today often is considered an intangible when interacting with people. And this is something that, as an adult and even as children, we don't always have a handle on it. There are many adults that need to learn how to do this. And uh, there are things that often we encourage people to do to create a change in a situation that's uncomfortable or where somebody is overbearing or bullying, this sort of thing. And what we're going to do is spout this term. And that is power perceived is power achieved. And the inverse of it is power achieved is power perceived. And in addition, the third aspect that often goes unspoken, but is also the key term, is power conceived, how we think about it. Is power believed. And that's where the change occurs. So from this point, we'll talk about what it is that we would consider power when interacting with people, perceived power, how somebody else takes it in from their five senses, eyes, ears, noses, all that sort of stuff. And also, whenever we have an achievement of power, what does that mean? When interacting with people, generally there is considered a power differential. That means someone supposedly holds more influence, and we're going to use that term interchangeable with the term power today. And for our purposes, it'll make things flow a little easier, but the influence, whoever has the most power, has the most influence in the communication or interaction or transaction. Now, there was a system of counseling that came about a number of years back in the 70s called TA or transactional analysis that actually set up a little model where we have the adult, the child, and there being a power differential, the authority from the parent to the child. And then as adults, when we're with peers, we have a differential of someone is in elevated sense of power. I have more power or influence than you. And that means you're beneath me somehow in influence or power. And then we have an equivalence, the middle part. It's either from the top down, from the highest to the lowest, or from the lowest to the highest, the communication, from the no power to the highest power. And then you have equivalence of communication, wherever the influence of power, uh, there, there is no differential. It's an equivalent. And that is what we call rapport, when there is an equivalence. So the equivalence comes from trust. Communication with trust is rapport. And uh, this is going to become very important to what it is we're going to be discussing today because whenever we have influence occurring in any dynamic situation that's occurring, whether it be at the mall or if you're interacting with a co-worker or a peer or if you're in a situation where there is definitely a hierarchy such as you're at work, there's your boss or CEO, then you have upper management, administration, mid-management, then you have the people that are the workers, for instance. and we can see where the gradation of influence, also authority goes, that's another term for influence and power, 
and how it's recognized and how it can move up and down and how there is a difference or respect for that. There are some people that do not relate well with that because of backgrounds and upbringings, and we're not going to discuss that all that much today, but it definitely is something to keep in mind on the back burner while we're entertaining these concepts because they're going to be very useful when it comes to development of self-regulation skills, but also the employment of the self-regulation skills that we've been teaching up until now. And that requires that we have a measure of knowing, competency, and skill developed in those things so I can put them to work whenever it counts most, whenever life happens. So let's start with the first term, power perceived. Perception, our experience day-to-day in our world, is perception heavy. So we take in signals from our environment outside. That environment could include friends, people, Starbucks, this sort of thing. Could include what I'm doing as far as listening to music, maybe when I'm driving, maybe the tension I experience as a result of running a little late, or maybe I'm in a hurry to make sure I'm not late and I'm trying to get there on time, this sort of thing, and I think I'm in reference to work or anything that would be particularly pressing for me in my life. But we have this perception, the fields of things, the sight of things, the sounds of them. Also, the taste and the smell does come into it to a lesser degree in some cases, but that can also play a very influential uh, role, such as a skunk or someone wearing a very heady, strong cologne that is hard to breathe. That actually makes one feel very uncomfortable and disconcerts the body. Sometimes that is done on purpose. So just once again, some things to think about. So when someone perceives power, what does that look like? So if somebody looks powerful, or if you go to a zoo and you're walking around, you see the lion and it's really quiet, but yet you turn your back at the zoo and you're walking away, the lion's just hanging out doing nothing, but it decides to roar. The roar chills you to your bone and shrills you the sense that you feel like running. You have perceived power, actual power. This creature is an embodiment of power, therefore the king of the jungle. Even when it's behind the cage and can't touch you, it will still scare the bejesus out of you. And that's okay. We're using this as an example. And that was actually me in third person telling you what happened to me when I went to the zoo, whenever we had sleepy dad lion not doing anything, and he roared when I'd walked away, and I swear, my first inclination was, run, and I really (laughs) realized the intensity and power of that, and it's kind of a funny story now, but uh, I just remember shuddering in that freeze response at that moment, because I did not understand what was happening because I was not thinking, but my body knew what it was doing. It was trying to get out of there because it knew something was wrong. But the perception of power is sometimes heard. Sometimes it's seen. Whenever we see somebody that is physically fit or imposing and we feel somehow that differential of the situation being I compare myself to them and wonder if they're a friend or foe. And all these determinants get dealt with in moments, fractions of a moment. This is the perceptual that I've been emphasizing so much that we decide whether or not we feel safe or not. But we have history, and this is a nice guy. They're really big, but they get along. and They're generally very kind and protective of the people that we work with. And I get along with them. They get along with me. Not a problem. Whenever we're in an environment that's a little less familiar, and we deal with somebody that we don't know, 
those are things that are actual considerations. Those are the calibrations. Those are the facts, factoids, and bits of information that we take in to make sense of stuff for just in case. And we put that on the back burner for a time to make sure just in case I need that. If things go awry, I know that I've at least read that and I can plan thereafter the fact, or it might put me in planning mode at that moment. But power perceived has to do with how I take in information and interpret that. And that does not necessarily mean bad or evil, but it can mean a difference of knowing. Some use this term called pecking order, and you know, that's okay whenever we talk about certain social paradigms. But when things are more dynamic, we tend to see or look and determine where it is that we feel safe or where we might feel potentially compromised, especially if there are a lot of unknowns. Is this person friendly? Does this person get along with folks? And sometimes we can't read people because they're very neutral, and that makes us very uncomfortable, especially if they're hiding the, the facial body language in particular. Body language speaks to us anyway, and how they carry themselves. Their level of confidence that plays into this power aspect, this influence aspect that we're talking about today. Not only in how we see them, but also the projection that we have of ourselves. So that way people will know that we're not a pushover. Those are things that we think about, things that we're going to be talking about today. So power perceived is power achieved. So if we run into somebody that is not particularly imposing, but carries themselves with a great deal of confidence, not necessarily arrogance, but uh, self-assuredness and comfort. And they can be around this very tall, large, intimidating person and not sure or act like it's bothering them. That gives you a sense of power, one that they hold. And if they've achieved that and the big person respects them or is deferential to them, then you realize that they carry more power than what we may have perceived of the larger, more intimidating person. So whenever we take into consideration our environment, these are the kind of judgments and adjudications. These aren't opinions, mind you. These are perceptual body-level determinants that tell us safe or unsafe. Our body is wired to make safe first, make sandwiches, and make friends later. If safe isn't made, my assumption of safety isn't made, then we're not doing that. We're not going to socialize and we're not going to get very deep and I'm going to make sure I know where the point of egress or the way to leave is not only visible but available and I know how to get there. Or at least I put myself in a position where I'm closer to it so I can access it if I need to. And I can be the first one out before we get trampled. So this might sound like a lot of dark talk and it's not. These are the things that we measure moment to moment at the subconscious level. And often we have gut feels about things. At times, we may even feel a little nervous or anxious. These are the things where we start seeing the symptoms, the early symptoms of arousal that can become hyperarousal or hypervigilance that can become very uncomfortable and put us into a state of full-blown fight or flight. So why is this important to self-regulation? One is recognizing the power perceived is power achieved has to do with how we, as individuals, see the people in our world, and determine how our actions and how we comport ourselves and the confidence that we walk through our world with and the efficacy we have, our skillfulness and effect in how we do things, how we execute our life, uh, determines how we receive. 
So it's not just one way who we see out there, but also how we deliver the social suggestion of power or influence from us to them. Stay away, don't get near, or one that is more along the lines of rapport, where we are equivalent and you can approach and don't feel threatening to them, and therefore you're not feeling threatened by them either. And uh, this dynamic occurs. But it's always, is it safe first? We always make safe first. So the, the adage of power perceived is power achieved often is one that we may apply before we know. There are a lot of unknowns before we know somebody or we're in a situation that is unfamiliar or one where we know that we don't hold sway or influence. Now the inverse of this, power achieved is power perceived. This is a syllogism now, an exact opposite of what we just spoke earlier with adage one. This balances it in a way in our understanding, but let's talk about it. So how do you achieve power? One of the things in self-regulation, how do I achieve power, not over myself, but rather power in the sense that I am confident and capable, that's my efficacy, but also I have a measure of self-efficacy. I feel like I have effect in the world. I feel like it's not an uncontrollable world, but that there are things that I can control and make change with. And there's a measure of belief that goes with that. Within that confidence, there is a knowing, not a having faith and hope that it's going to work. At some point, it may be that. But whenever you realize that it does work and I can do this, I can do this, then it becomes a confidence and a self-efficacy that has to do with competence and execution with that confidence that provides a measure of within myself influence and power that I've achieved. It's a skillfulness. When I've gained skill as a result of doing this, I have gained power. I have power, therefore power is perceived of me whenever I walk with confidence, whenever I execute with a high level of efficacy and skill. It's noticeable, it's readable, and it's respectable. Now, there are two terms. One is respect, and the other is fear. Often when you interact with folks, there are many that use the term respect. I'm going to make you respect me, or I'm going to teach you some respect, or I'm going to show you some respect. These are some old terms that in the 50s and 60s, if you get into some old writing, people would use those terms to say that I'm going to get physical with you and teach you a lesson. I'm going to teach you some respect. Respect isn't taught. Respect is earned. We know this. But yet in our language, we reflect what we'd like to have respect, in quotes, and use fear as an interchangeable. I will induce fear. I will influence you. I will intimidate or I will act physically against you by violence or destruction of things or maybe destructive behavior by actually physically fighting with you to create that change that I want you to have. Because I'm not seeing you respecting me. That means that when I step up, you don't shirk in fear. And it becomes this interchangeable term of respect and fear. When people really mean I'm going to cause you to fear me. I'm going to make you afraid of me. That's not respect. Big difference. Now, do you respect somebody that can do that? 
You give them wide berth, you give them room before things happen, yes. But is there a fear component? Of course. But there is definitely a misuse of the term, often when it's spoken. When somebody means respect, they really mean fear. And it's a power thing. It's about power, a struggle of power. And often that struggle can get very ugly, and uh, often it can become very damaging and destructive, even if it's not physical, because often people will revert to going for the throat with verbiage and making linguistic threats of what's going to happen using the timeline in our mind, knowing that the mental picture I'm setting up in you by virtue of my language, my picture words, and I say it with such inflection and such belief and intensity that it sounds believable. Now, this is where we cross over into what's called bravado. Bravado is where people start to posture. Often we see videos of people spreading their arms and bumping chests, or they start acting in a way where it's abrupt, or they start brandishing a tool such as a stick or a knife, or they start putting their finger in someone's space till the, to the point to where they're testing whether or not they can get away with it or not, to the point where they actually start physically poking on somebody's chest or putting their hands on somebody and pushing them around. It is crossed over to the physical at this point, but often bravado is to make one believe this is part of the display. It's also known as the monkey dance. If you want to see some really good material, uh, Mark McYoung has a newsletter and a website, and he's helped quite a few uh, law enforcement and military agencies and civilians with self-defense, even people that work in jails as jailers, uh, that do professional jobs where violence is an everyday thing. And uh, he has probably some of the finest material out there with a very social, uh, socially astute education in how to apply things, how not to apply things. And it's very uncommon knowledge and wisdom. And it's also quite effective. I found it very useful as a martial artist, as a therapist when I work in that field and also uh, education because there are many things about human behavior and social paradigms that often are influenced by the larger group, groupthink, mob mentality, and also the individual and how those interplay. But one of the finest uh, uh, writers out there that is still currently alive and creating new content, look him up. His name is Mark McYoung. He used to be known as Mark the Animal McYoung and had publications Many years, and I'm getting no kickback from this. These, this is just a really good resource for anyone that's wanting to up their level in difficult times and difficult situations. So that way you can prepare and be ready for the eventuality of something becoming ugly or violent. And how to get out of those things without necessarily having to fight. And uh, he has some really good, uh, once again, resources for that. Now, the next thing that I'm going to mention is... The term bravado has to do with trying to get someone to believe you're more dangerous or more scary than what they may actually be. Many people will bluff in their bravado, taking a drink of tea here, and in that very bluff, there is always a potential for violence. It can't cross over to there. They don't believe you believe their bravado or their bluff enough, and sometimes they may be willing to cross that over and often. Uh, things may start with bravado or they may not, but it's important to know that sometimes it's a matter of listening to that and taking it whenever it's happening as an instruction that says, hey, they're threatened and try to walk away if you can. 
Never turn your back to somebody physically, but actually back out while looking at them and say, hey, no issue here. And keep going back. And if they give you anything like a proscription that says, don't say anything, don't move, don't say a word. That is basically telling you that if even if you say a word that has given them permission by their rule book, the one that you were playing by that you didn't know you were playing, but they had you in their clutches, so to speak, because they're predators, for instance. And if you do anything that is not in the instruction, just leave. Leave here or else. Don't say anything. Just stop talking. Stop saying that. You say that again, I'm going to, in quotes, fill in the blank. Uh, those are instructions, and we have to be aware of such things. I've had experiences uh, where people will act out, wherever people say, don't do this, and someone does that, and I've seen it acted out in, in a violent way. So being very careful, once again, that power achieved is power perceived. If we're realizing that that even goes for them, if they believe that they've achieved power, that they're stronger than what you may perceive them as, they will proceed to prove this to you. And it doesn't always mean violence, but it could mean acting out or destructive behavior. So just keep this in mind. Now, the third adage, the one that I'm adding to the prior two, has to do with power conceived is power believed. Often, what we think about, we bring about, is a cliche. But there is a truism that actually uh, impacts our body because our body is a very simple structure once we realize that the visual pictures in our mind, like the lemon that makes us salivate, can create physical change within a moment. That is an example that can actually give us an idea as to how powerful the visual capacity is whenever we believe the words that are spoken. So if I'm thinking about what somebody said and I treat it as if there is a measure of belief, there is also one that says, well, I have to treat it that way because... I don't want to gamble on it, on it being uh, inaccurate, and then I make a mistake, I get hurt, or something happens. So power conceived has to do with, well, how do I see this? Do I see myself as capable? Am I confident in a more positive sense? Am I able to have the self-efficacy, me being able to do those things for me and execute the things that I need to do in my life? And... Um, that can be from work to protection of self and environmental safety and being able to stand your ground when necessary and leave it when not. Being skillful and a skillful reckoner uh, is a better survivor because you know when to let things go and know when things are merely an idea, such as the idea of honor. No such thing. You can't wait. Now you can act honorably once again, but not dying for it because what do you gain? Nothing. You have a dead person and you have this really honorable idea that you're trying to protect. And now you're not there to think that idea. So idea goes away. And well, it was a waste. We don't want to do that. But power conceived is power achieved. There are ways of thinking that encourage us to be in our body stronger, to also be more confident. So therefore, belief is the underlying part of the first two adages. Power perceived is power achieved. There's a belief in there. Nobody stopped talking about that. And power achieved is power perceived. That means whatever you've actually physically gained, it 
can be interpreted as being powerful or dangerous or intimidating by someone else. But there is a belief quality there because somebody sees that and they don't respond to the signal or they misinterpret it. Then they're going to run into the problem of, well, someone's going to show them the real power. So belief is a big quality that we have to pay attention to within that idea. And often it's something that is played out in day to day interactions with people, sometimes not so grandiose as what I've been discussing but it still plays out and it's a very powerful influence in how we make our decisions and whether or not we interact in our environments and even determines whether or not I go to the grocery store at certain hours because maybe there's too many people or I know that I've seen these people and had a negative event during these hours. So I tried to circumvent that by going at another hour, going to a different store, being strategic. And those are all absolutely wonderful things. They're helpful. But for now, these are some ideas I just want to share so that way we could kind of expand on the idea of confidence and how I interact, self-efficacy. How can I competently do the things and execute the things that I need in my life? And also, how do I influence those outside of me that they might respect me and that I do so without necessarily having to do anything that looks intimidating or anything that looks like bravado, things we try to avoid? And also how to interpret those things when they're occurring and realizing that they're sending a message. It is not done merely for attention. They are telling you something. And that message often has instructions that we have to respect and honor. It's not about you being ashamed or guilty or someone talking trash or making you look bad. That is buying into the ego. That is also buying into the thoughts of false honor because your ego is merely your idea of yourself. And you can always go away or run away and be safe, live to fight another day, and think all those good thoughts about your ego again later because it doesn't really go away. It's always with us. So try not to buy into the fact that you're protecting it because it doesn't exist. It is merely our idea that we interact and engage with socially. This doesn't mean you're not important, the real you. It just means that figment of ourself is not so substantial and not worth protecting in that sense. So... What I'm going to do now is just tell you, please be safe, be aware, but on top of that, <laughs> walk well and like, follow and share. And if you have any comments to send me, send them to the email at runningmangetskillsproject at gmail and we'll talk soon. Have a good evening.